0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Jacked, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today.
1: Days later, see the June 18th, 1989, the Spectrum Sports Arena in Philadelphia, the second stop of the Budweiser Superfest tour. On stage, before a crowd of over 10,000 people, Cool Mo lights up the stage. While backstage, the members of Guy are getting ready for their set. Damien Hall huddles up with his brother Aaron and with Teddy Riley.
2: And I will never forget, never in my life will I forget this moment.
1: Damien's gotta admit that last night, New Edition blew them off the stage. Their style was on point. So were their dance moves. Damien's the one responsible for Guy's stage show. And he knows how to make sure they don't get upstaged again.
2: I said, look, 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 man, these guys are killing us. We must, cause we came on right before New Edition came on. So I would have an A show and a B show that I created for Guy. Me and my dancers is, is the thing that made the show either greater or or the greatest. And I said, I got something for the ass. I'm telling you, I got something for the ass, though. Aaron, all I need you to do is sing like never before. And Teddy played a shit out of that vocoder. You know, that's when he had the keytar, where you could walk around with it, right? I said, just, just do what you gotta do. Trust me, the lights, when we boom, boom, boom. I got the rest.
1: And when they go on.
2: Man. Woo! Aaron did a. Ah, ah. Yeah, but he, oh my god. I was like. What? And Teddy would, and he bent back. And then I came in, and we were doing shit with these baseball caps. And we were doing all kind of different moves. And I was doing splits and jumping up on the speaker.
1: Damien checks out a few members of New Edition who's watching from the wings.
2: We killed them, cats. They were on the side, like, crying, like, oh, my god. I think they got us. Like, you saw, you know you give that uppercut and that, that left hook and then that straight right? That's what that was. I was like, boom, pow, boom. It was done.
1: The guys are thrilled because they crushed it tonight. And backstage after the show, they're hanging out with their manager, Gene Griffin, when they get an important visitor.
2: It was Al Heyman who ran the Budweiser Fest. i never forget, came into our room. He had new additions manager in there. He said, Gene, this tour is now co headline and guys' primary headlines. Yep, there we go. Thank you very much. We dethroned the
3: Kings.
1: It's a triumph for God, but that decision to make both groups co-headliners is going to put them on a collision course.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
4: Get eighty percent off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at Byte.com. That's B Y T dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: From Wondery and Universal Music Group, I'm Taraji P Henson, and this is Jack something that you can
2: you do is come on and sing.
1: This is episode five. Superfest. July, 1989. The Los Angeles Coliseum. It's a massive stadium. Looks like something out of Roman gladiator days. The first Super Bowl took place here, and the Olympics. And today, it's brimming, with 41,000 rap and r and fans about to bear witness to another competition. Hanging out backstage, is Timmy Gatling. Impeccably dressed, as always, hair buzzed in a short trim fade. If things had gone differently, he would have been getting ready to go on stage right now with the band he founded. But instead, he got kicked out of Guy a year ago. And he's had to watch the rise of Guy from the sidelines. The number one debut album, Showtime at the Apollo, the Arsenio Hall show. It's been hard. Really hard.
5: My heart was too broken. I was ripped to shreds.
1: And when he first got that call from Gene that he was out of the group, he thought his career was over. But in the years since, Timmy's managed to get back on his feet thanks to a lot of help from his now wife, Veronica. God always makes a way. She told him You're still a writer, you're still a producer, you're still a musician. This is still your life's work. And if it's for you, they don't have the power to take it away. They made a list of companies putting out New Jack Swing Records, of connections, of potential collaborators to work with, of song ideas.
6: It didn't create a balm of ease for his soul for Guy. That was still a huge point
1: of pain. It was a pain body for him for many, many years. But Timmy gets a record deal with Tommy Boy Records, the label that almost signed Guy. When he got the productions and got his own record deal, it helped a lot. So by the time the 89 Superfest tour rolls around, Timmy's successfully writing and producing songs for other artists. He's even got a solo album in the works. And while he may not be performing at Superfest, he's in the game enough to be invited backstage that day. So he gets busy networking, you know, pressing the flesh with everyone from Superfest promoter Al Heyman to one of the tour's bodyguards, an imposing former college football player named Suge Knight.
5: Because I'm right there with the big thing around my neck backstage with Suge Knight. when Suge Knight wasn't Suge Knight when he just a bodyguard for Al Heyman. And then
1: he sees them, his former group, Teddy and Aaron, with his replacement, Damien. They're riding in a golf cart on their way to the stage.
5: They saw me. At that time they didn't even speak. It was like they were shocked. It was like they saw a ghost.
1: Timmy watches as they drive by. Their eyes meet. But no one says a word. They just drive on by. Guy gets on stage and there's Timmy again. This time he's watching his old band from the wing.
5: I had an out-of-body experience watching this. Because you hearing your songs, it takes you back to how y'all wrote the songs, where you were at in the hood in Teddy's living room.
1: The guys are wearing their same signature open chest red jumpsuits, guy written in sparkling cursive on the back. Watching them sing lyrics he wrote, Timmy's in his feelings.
5: It was like you had this flashback of when y'all was little up until this point. And now they're up on stage and you're not a part of it.
1: But then he and 41,000 people at the Coliseum noticed something strange. The music sounding weird. No, 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 kind of bad. There's some kind of feedback, a distortion. The next day, the review in the L.A. Times will say that guys set suffered from a muddy sound system. But Timmy Gatling says he saw what caused the issue. And it wasn't an accident.
5: Guy was going up on stage and somebody kept pulling the cords up from from the microphones and the keyboard.
1: As Timmy stands there, it dawns on him. He's watching deliberate sabotage.
5: So they would run behind while a performance going on, kick it and just run across real quick. They are kicking the cords out of the wall.
1: But who is They? Timmy says the ones kicking cords out of the wall are guys from New Edition's stage crew, because what had been a friendly rivalry seems like it's turning nastier. Rapper Cool Modis on the tour too, and as they go from show to show, he can feel the tension building.
7: It was. A little bit palpable because I guess New Edition is feeling like they were the OGs of the tour and Guy was being put in the headline position. And until Guy, New Edition has always been that uh, that hot teenage group, so to speak. But Guy had gotten a hold on what I consider that teen market. And they were easily the number one group at the time. And I know it wasn't jealousy, especially, but it's just a little uncomfortable when you're used to the fanfare that they had they now had to split that fanfare because Guy definitely took a chunk out of that space.
1: But Damian Hall says it went further than just discomfort.
7: Look, we're always young. I think there was
2: a jealousy, there was a hurt, there was a what the fuck, who are these guys taking up, you know, coming on our tour and co-headlining and headlining the tour. They was out years before. They came out, what, 82, 83? So when you talk about being on top that long and for us to come out, After a year, it it wasn't even a whole year. It it took nine months, and we were like, everybody around the world was like, this is the shit group, this is
1: the group. Guy is the shit. But if you ask New Edition's Johnny Gill, he denies it.
3: A rivalry? I, you know, uh, no. I mean, I think maybe they did, but for us, that was never even a thought, a thought process, because our presentation was just on a different level.
1: Johnny says, if there was something going on, it was the other groups trying to compete with them.
3: Maybe it was, we set the bar, and obviously when you set the bar, hi, people are always looking going, I'm gunning for you, coming to get you. Maybe, take me back. But something about when an audition steps on the stage, there's an explosion like no other, and
7: it's always set us apart from everybody.
1: Cool D says that night after night, guys closing the gap.
7: I would see quantum leaps in terms of their performance because they had ballads now. It was At one time, they're just performing because they got groovy. That's the hit record everybody knows. But then when they have Let's Chill and other big R&B ballads or whatever, they're a solid, solid group at the time and their show matched what the hit record level was.
1: One of those ballads gives them a chance to bring out a secret weapon. The beautiful voice of Marsha McClurkin. Each night, she comes on stage to sing a duet with Aaron Hall on... Goodbye, love.
6: Aaron sings it. Even though I hate to leave, girl, and I cry as you walk out the door, and then I would come in. The door I cried. But we've been through
3: the same thing before.
1: It's a song about a couple who's forced to part ways, Both of them wonder if they'll ever see each other again. Marsha knows the feeling. In fact, she's in exactly that situation right now with her Teddy, who's ironically standing like a few feet from her. Guy's manager, Jean Griffin, has forbidden dating between musicians on his roster. So whenever Jean's there, she and Teddy have to pretend like there's nothing going on. It's just one way for her, that the tour's feeling less and less like a party.
6: I, most of the time, was the only girl on the road with, like, all guys, and that was was traumatic. I can't tell you how many times I was changing clothes or whatever, and they would just open up the door and, like, stand there. A lot of times they didn't accommodate for me. So I would have to dress like in like a closet or it was rough. But
1: sometimes she and Teddy managed to sneak some alone time together.
8: I think we would just sneak into each other's rooms and uh, I would have the security. I would pay my security a little extra money to just keep things quiet and get me where I need to go. You know, in the morning, wake me up so I can be back in my room. So if Jean called, I'm there.
1: Mostly, Marcia's on her own.
6: Being the only girl, I was very much isolated. I had one guy, the bodyguard, that always kind of like, you know, even at my hotel, like he was outside or, you know, close by. So I was, you know, in passing. I would see everyone. We would sometimes eat together, but I stayed in my room a lot. I really did. Yeah, it was
1: was a lonely world. (laughs) After the West Coast swing, The Superfest acts get a few days off as the tour moves back to the East Coast. Next stop, Greensboro, North Carolina. Marsha has a cousin who lives nearby in Charlotte. She's so ready to get off of this tour, and she figures this is the perfect opportunity.
6: I stayed behind to spend time with my family. I had not seen my parents or my younger sister in a while, so I decided to stay behind, and that's what I did.
1: And as it turns out, Marsh is leaving just at the right moment. Because at the next show in Greensboro, the rivalry that's been building is gonna turn violent.
4: Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got rocket money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery.
9: Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.
1: Greensboro, North Carolina, July 8th, 1989. A hot day has given way to a pleasant, balmy Southern night. Cool Maldi takes up his regular position in the wings, stage right, to watch Guy set for the night. And the vibe backstage is less than pleasant. Guy has recently been anointed the main headliners. But for tonight, they're told late that they're going on before new edition, which is a slap in the face.
7: Most of the time Guy was closing, But then there were certain cities that New Edition would have to close regardless, like they're just, the fanfare is too much. And they changed the order one time because New Edition had to close in uh, North Carolina. And instead of us communicating with each other, which is again, the uh, industry separates us and makes us compete instead of collabing with each other for the most part, they never had the conversation that... In certain cities, we're going to have to close, as opposed to you closing, and just take everybody's ego out of the equation.
1: Instead, everybody's egos are totally in the equation, especially the band's roadies, because they are ready to fight for their bosses. Guy takes the stage. Just as a phone rings in Johnny Gale's hotel room, Johnny's still getting dressed for New Edition's gig. He's about to get picked up and hustled over to the Coliseum to go on after Guy.
3: We got a phone call from our stage manager saying that there was an issue going on with their stage people and security and ours. And what happened was, on that show, they had a revolving stage. So the revolving stage is while the other actor's in front, the other actor's in the back setting up.
1: Except when New Edition's crew starts setting up on the back half of the stage during Guy's set, Guy's crew takes it as a sign of disrespect. So the two crews start fighting.
3: We was like, at that point, we was like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't do that. Can't allow that.
1: Cool is watching the two crews going at it when Johnny Gill and the rest of New Edition arrive on the scene.
7: New Edition gets the word of it backstage. Oh, they're disrespecting us. They kicked our stuff on stage. So we went and got out and went walking right straight onto the stage. We
3: was like, hey, you know, we need to have a conversation here. This, you know, it's unacceptable, and especially if you're not know, as a headliner. And that's when, uh, you know, all the hell broke loose.
1: Damien Hall hadn't seen any of it. He says he's in the middle of his performance when he's suddenly blindsided.
2: And we didn't know what we were doing because our backs turn. so we were turned. so we was really into our zone. When we was on stage, New Edition came out on our show. They came out on our show, and we was like, what the hell is this? <laughs>
1: For a second, Damien actually thinks new additions joining them on stage to play a song together. That's what the audience
3: thinks too. First, it was exciting thinking we all coming out joining the group, joining a guy. But we was coming out going, "Yo, yo, hey, yo, y'all got to come back here. We got the, we got a problem right here." <laughs> so uh, the audience screaming and excited and thinking, "Oh my God!" And the headline is coming up now. And then we turned around.
2: they was there, and it was, it was like first was like, oh, "Okay, cool." And then people started screaming. Then it got
1: hostile. Cool Modi watches as Teddy Riley and New Edition's Ricky Bell quietly step back into the wings, while everyone else goes to war.
7: Bonnie Devo swinging a mic stand. Aaron Hall and Michael Bivens are squaring off with their hands up in boxing stances, and Johnny Gill is swinging microphone also, so just like Damien is. The audience is excited when they come out. They're screaming because they think they're going to do something together, and then they realize they're actually fighting. And then they start to boo everybody. And then our security came out, took us
2: off the stage, and then I was like, what the hell is this? This is crazy.
1: The day after the brawl in Greensboro?
7: I think it's just artist ego.
1: Cool Moldy can't get out of his head what he saw.
7: Who's the headliner? Whose name's up big in lights? Who's the name that people are coming, you know, it's just the stupid stuff we get pit against each other for. I was like, this is bad. This is at the beginning of our tour, and I thought this was gonna get the tour canceled.
1: But for now, the tour soldiers on, and tensions keep running hotter. Next stop, the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. The acts check into their hotels to relax, except Guy, who got a late start from Greensboro. They're still on the road. The roadies get to work setting up the show at that night's venue. Last night's brawl seems to be forgotten. For now. Around 4.30 that afternoon, New Edition's stage manager goes to the venue to do a sound check. His name is Michael Clark. But everyone calls him Spider.
3: Spider was the guy that every day, if you knew one person who loved their job and enjoyed their job, it was Spider. Oh my God, the sweetest of the sweetest.
1: Spider needs to check something with his boss, New Edition's production manager, Ronald Bird. So he walks through the backstage area towards the production office when something hits him in the back of his head and he's down.
7: And they beat Spider and they jumped him, but it was like some West Side Story warrior stuff where they came with chains and bats and sticks or whatever.
1: A group of guys, unclear where they came from, rain down blows on Spider till he loses consciousness. But before he passes out, Spider hears one of them say, you fuck with Guy, we're gonna kill you. When New Edition's production manager Ronald Berg comes out of the office, the men with bats attack him too.
3: Ron Berg, he is the no-nonsense guy. Ron has a, a black belt, so you go from there.
1: Bird takes several bats to the head and shoulders, but he fights back, escapes, and then somehow he gets himself a gun, a 380 caliber semi-automatic pistol. Bird later says. The gun fell out of the waistband of one of his attackers. Johnny Gill here's a different story.
3: I was told he was able to get to his bus, because he's a cowboy, to get a hold to his, his weapons. Because, you know, on the road, you just don't know what you're going to run into.
1: Wherever the gun comes from, Bird now has it out, and he's flashing it at his attackers. The gang drops their bats and makes a run for it. Bird gives chase out of the arena and onto the street towards the hotel where many of the superfast acts are staying, the Hyatt House. At that very moment, Cool Modi is in the hotel lobby talking to Michael Bivens, one of the members of New Edition, about what went down last night.
7: I'm talking to Michael Bivens about what happened, why did you do that, blah, 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 what went wrong, and he tells me they've been disrespecting us all year, or all tour, blah, blah, blah.
1: Just then, across the street, there's a commotion. Cool Muldee sees a group of guys coming down the street from the arena.
7: And the guys start running. And as they're running, they shoot one guy in the back. Well, the guy that got shot in the back comes into the hotel. He falls out in the lobby.
1: A big guy in a white T-shirt and white Bermuda shorts, now stained with blood. And as he falls to the carpet, Cool Muldee realizes he recognizes him. It's Big Anthony B, Teddy Riley's old friend from the Harlem car wash.
7: I use his Jeep on the cover of How You Like Me Now. And it's like, that's it, I'm getting out of here.
1: As a crowd gathers around the body in the lobby, Kool Moe races up to his room to gather his things.
7: And I call my crew, say, everybody get downstairs, get on the buses, we're getting out of here. So we're rounding ourselves up and getting out. And sure enough, the police cars come from Pittsburgh. They surround the buses, and as I'm on the bus getting ready to pull out, the policeman comes in the front and says, nobody's going anywhere. This is now a murder scene. Everybody has to stay.
1: Upstairs, Johnny Gill from New Edition is watching this scene unfold from his hotel window.
7: It was a bunch of
3: chaos going on across the street where we were staying, because you can look out the window and see them, see the building, and they were unloading. So hearing all the madness and then hearing that someone got shot and all that stuff, it was like it became one of those moments where it was like, this is, this don't even seem like it's real. It's surreal.
1: Now, while all this is happening, the members of Guy aren't even in Pittsburgh yet. They're still on the road in their tour bus. And they don't know yet what's going on. When they finally arrive, Teddy looks out the window onto a scene of total pandemonium.
8: The actual front of the hotel, it was all locked in with police cars, ambulance, firemen, you know, everything. It was just so cluttered. So we went around the back and they took us straight up to our rooms. They had hotel security meet us. We went up to the rooms, we turned on the TV and and it was the news.
1: Only then does Teddy learn what happened. That a member of Guy's security crew was shot and died in the hotel lobby. And not just Any member.
8: And they said his name was Tony Anthony B. You know, Tony B. And that's when
1: I knew it was my guy. Anthony B. The big guy in the Bermuda shorts. One of the guys involved in the earlier brawl. And Teddy's old friend from the street car wash in Harlem. And not just his friend, his protector. A guy who kept him off the streets.
8: Like he bought me a keyboard, you know, or he would just get something to make sure I'm I'm taken care of. Like if I'm at the studio, he would take me down to the studio. Like he was just that guy, you know, he was just like that brother for me.
1: Anthony had always looked out for Teddy. And now the idea that big Anthony is gone, Teddy almost can't process it.
8: I was out of it. I was like, this can't be true. You know, you have that look of, this can't be true.
1: The show that night is canceled. Police arrest Bird and three of the men who attacked him and Spider Clark. And then they bust a fifth man charged with ordering the attack. Gene Griffin.
3: Gene was behind it, from what I was told.
1: That's what Johnny Gill says. But if you ask T.C. Tompkins... Vice president of GR Productions, whether Gene was involved in the attack?
10: No, don't know. D- did not get involved.
1: But TC does get involved in the damage control after the fact.
10: Uh, no, I just told Gene I did not want him talking to nobody. You know, uh, I basically told everybody, not, don't say anything uh, to nobody about anything. The less we know about it, the less we said, the best it is about it.
1: That's not to say everything coming out of GR is no comment. To any reporters who ask, TC describes Anthony and the other attackers as professional people we hired for security. But to be honest, not too many people in the press pay attention.
10: We only took a few calls. You know, nobody was really that interested. You know, it's just another black kid getting murdered. You know, it wasn't a major story.
1: But for Damien and the other members of Guy... Yeah, this is major.
10: It messed up something that
2: was, could have been real beautiful for us. And I think it changed all of us for a while. That day changed the dynamic of a lot of things.
1: For one thing, the whole argument about which group was better or which group was headlining, it's over. Guy and New Edition are both dropped from the Superfest tour.
0: You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. Pet Med's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. Petmeds Meds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including NexGuard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order.
1: Manhattan. In the second floor offices of GR Productions, the mood is grim. Guy getting dropped from the Superfest tour has dealt the company a major financial blow. Jeans facing charges for allegedly ordering the beatdown of New Edition's road crew. Two of the guys who attacked Ronald Bird get two and a half to six years for aggravated assault. Bird himself will get five to ten years for voluntary manslaughter for killing. Anthony B. Gene manages to get his charges dropped for lack of evidence, so he may have evaded the law. But he's got another problem. Teddy Riley is mourning the loss of his dear friend, Anthony B. And it's sending him into an emotional
8: tailspin. Because it's really painful just, you know, knowing that you've lost someone that's pretty dear to you and you're successful
10: and you want that person to be there, you know.
1: T C. Tompkins can see how much pain Teddy's in.
10: He was hurt, you know, it was tragic to him. He was he was emotionally upset. He cried. A lot of the kids cried because he was, you know, everybody liked him.
1: Marsha McClurkin sees the grief too. And the guilt.
6: He just said, I I, I wish I had never had him as, you know my bodyguard or out on the road, maybe he would still, you know, be here if that had not happened. Like, he he, he really carried that one, like, on his shoulders. You know, it was tragic that he felt that way because, like I told him, it's, it's
1: not your fault. But that's how he felt. Damien remembers feeling something else from Teddy. Resentment.
2: The death of Anthony hurt him tremendously. To the point where he'll tell people that me and Aaron did... You know, we didn't care or didn't do it. And I'm like, that's not true. So I, I leave that as he was distraught and he fostered that in his mind in some kind of capacity. That wasn't the truth.
1: Meanwhile, though, Damien and Aaron start building up resentments of their own about how Teddy seems to be getting more and more of the spotlight. That summer sees the release of Spike Lee's era-defining movie, Do the Right Thing. On the soundtrack is a guy number called My Fantasy. But... The credits say, Teddy Riley featuring Guy.
2: Going into the end of 89, that's when you really started, because that's when they started separating Teddy from us during the second album. It's more so, you know, Guy featuring Teddy Riley and and on the remixes of Fantasy and the remixes of Teddy's Jam. It's just a fantasy, it's just a fantasy. It was Guy featuring Teddy Riley, and I was like, me and Gene used to always, you know, butt heads on that, because I said, that don't make sense. You can't feature somebody in the group. That's the dumbest shit on the fucking planet.
1: In some ways, this is nothing new. Almost from the beginning, Teddy Riley's been more famous than his own group. On TV, the band's always getting introduced like...
2: You can't get much hotter than uh, Teddy Riley, the
5: producer, written behind, you know, Key Sweat. I want to and just got Played by Johnny Kemp. And now Teddy's put together his own band. Not too long ago, a gentleman by the name of Teddy Riley masterminded a concept called Guy. Guy.
1: But Teddy getting featured credits on Guy tracks? Somehow it feels like a step too far. And Teddy senses the shade.
8: It was just a lot of jealousy. this a lot of jealousy because of what I do, you know, and, and because I'm the quietest and I get the shine, you know. But it's from the seeds that I planted. You never planted a seed.
1: Marsha sees Teddy withdrawing. He comes around the GR offices less and less. Teddy was pretty much, like, dodging everybody. Until it seems like he's unable to trust anyone, including Marsha. Herself. One night at her apartment, Teddy brings up the credit card they share, the one she added Teddy to when they started dating. I think he
6: had a meeting with his accountant, Bert Patel.
1: Marsha has one simple rule for the card every month, she sends Teddy's charges to Bert, who pays them off. But apparently, the accountant doesn't trust her.
6: And I think Bert Patel was like, well, maybe you need to. Find out more about, you know, her. I know she sends in the credit card thing here to be paid, but, you know, maybe, you know, there's a way that she's taking funds off of it or something. I don't know what it was, but he had the audacity to repeat it to me. And when he did, I kind of lost it. Marsha
1: and Teddy hardly ever argue, but this one is a blowout. I said, are you
6: insinuating that I'm taking something from you? Is that what you're saying? And I was just so hurt and so disappointed that he even thought that. And I was like, you know what? I tell you what, don't even worry about it. I was like, because
1: one day you're going to see really who's taken from you. You'll see it. Jean, that's who she's referring to. But if Teddy knows what she's getting at, he doesn't even acknowledge it. So I was just like, okay, you know what? That's it. I'm done. That's it. Their relationship is over. If Teddy's acting a little suspicious, though, it kind of makes sense because he's starting to realize that a lot of other people around him are getting very, very rich off his work. TC Tompkins, who worked at GR Productions, remembers
10: They were making big money. Matter of fact, I think our billing for the first year of GR production was something like 25 million.
1: When TC says billing, he means that's how much the production company is billing other people. That's how much we were
10: making. That's how much they made that for, yeah, first year when we had our offices, we made 25 million.
1: And according to journalist Barry Michael Cooper, it's an open secret in the industry that Teddy isn't getting his fair share.
7: This dude should have been a multi-millionaire at the height of what he was doing because the head guy at Black Music and MCA, he was telling people, if it doesn't have the Teddy Riley sound, don't bring it to me.
1: So it may be more than a coincidence that around this time, Jing tries to show Teddy some gratitude and pull him even closer to him. As Christmas 1989 approaches, Teddy Riley and his mom are moving into a house in Duluth, Georgia. Duluth,
8: you know, was racist then.
1: Duluth's about 25 miles outside of Atlanta, and especially back then, it's a pretty white town.
8: You know, it's like Duluth was like, whoa, why are you living up there? People were asking me, why are you living in Duluth?
1: Good question. Gene suddenly decided to up and relocate himself and his business operations to Atlanta from New York. Maybe after the brawl at Superfest and the implications he was involved, he's looking for a fresh start. But whatever the reason, Gene takes the members of Guy with him. He offers them all free homes in Duluth.
8: He had said he bought three houses for us. One for me, one for Damien, one for Aaron. I moved in mine first. And uh, it was so funny. We got smaller houses and he got a doggone house that looked like the White House, but it was brown. (laughs) I was like, wow. It had bricks. We had up. I was like,
1: okay. So even though Teddy's starting to get how much money he's making for GR, he doesn't actually have much of his own. His money's still largely channeled through the company. Whenever he needs something, it's paid for by Gene in cash, or Teddy uses a company card.
8: And uh, one day, we were shopping for the house. We were shopping on the Furniture Mall off of Jimmy Carter Boulevard in Atlanta. So we went there, me and Mom shopping, and we had, you know, just everything that we needed to get our furniture home so that we can you know, start living in the house with something. Because we were living on blow-up beds. So we did that, and uh, the card just kept declining. Kept declining. I called Gene, and I said, Gene, is it true that we have a lot of money, right? He said, yeah, but you you, you got to call me, man, and let me know when you're charging the card. I was like, I got to call you to let you know I'm charging the card.
1: Teddy's mom raises an eyebrow the Rileys' suspicions are officially aroused. Teddy decides it's time to look deeper into his financial situation, starting with the deed of the new house jeans given him. According to Teddy, it turns out...
8: You know, we had moved down to Atlanta where he bought us, not knowing that I was squatting because he didn't really purchase the house. His brother... His blood brother basically gave him the house and said, you guys can live in there until I sell it. He gave us fake deeds. Fake
1: deeds to the house. Teddy says Gene doesn't even own them. Now, Mrs. Riley raises more than her eyebrow and gives her some, some motherly advice about his longtime manager.
8: And she said, you better leave that asshole. Leave him or I'm going back to the projects.
1: Teddy's getting fed up with Gene, too. But can he really just up and leave? For one thing, Teddy's helped sign a bunch of acts to their company, Marsha's group Abstract and his little brother Markel's hip-hop crew, Rex, in effect. He can't just leave them behind. He doesn't want to leave Guy behind either. But contractually, Gene is still a fourth member of that group. Teddy may be ready to split from Gene, But it isn't going to be easy. He's always been the quiet kid who lets other people handle his business. But now it's time to take control of his own career.
6: And he was like, well, I don't know. You know, I got my whole family and and I I need to move. I need to move now. I got to make some
1: moves. You know, I, I feel like I'm in danger. That's on the next and final episode of Jacked. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, this is episode five of six of Jacked. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to binge ad-free. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. Jacked is hosted and produced by me, Taraji P. Henson. Andy Herman and Rico Galliano wrote and produced this story. Consulting creative producer is Timmy Gatling. Associate producer is Melissa duenez Fact-checking by Sarah McClure. Consulting producer is Barry Michael Cooper. Managing producer is Lutha Pundia. Sound design by Marcelino Villopondo. Sound design and mixing by Jeff Schmidt. Executive produced by Barrick Moffitt and Daniel Seliger for UMG. Executive produced by George Lavender, Marsha Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wandering.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Jacked ad free on Amazon Music.